Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show. But I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the waitlist if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. 
We'll be right back to today's show, but before we do, I want to let you know that you can get a free copy of my first book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma, when you leave a review for the podcast on Apple Podcast, either on desktop or on your phone. All you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts, look up Think Unbroken, click follow in the top right, and then go and leave a review at the bottom. And when you leave that review, screenshot it and send it over to book.thinkunbroken.com where you can upload your contact and mailing information, and we will send you a free copy of this award-winning best-selling book, absolutely free, including shipping. Just go to book.thinkunbroken.com to upload your screenshot review from Apple Podcasts for the Think Unbroken podcast. And until next time, my friend, be unbroken. I'll see you. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a wait list for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? Hope that you're doing well wherever you are in the world today. I'm very excited to be back with you with another episode with my guest, best-selling author, Gabor Mate. My friend, how are you today? What is happening in your world? Well, I'm very well, and um, I'm very excited, as you might imagine, because two weeks from today, actually, my new book, The Myth of Normal, Trauma, Illness, and Healing in a Toxic Culture, is published. So there's a lot of activities surrounding that, and you're an author yourself, so you know what that's just like, where you're just waiting for that birth to finally happen. <laughs> after, after all those years of gestation, you know? Yeah, very much so. And, you know, I, I you mentioned before we started recording, it's taken you a, a decade to research and to create, publish and, and launch this book. And I, I love so much of the foundation of it, especially built around the, this concept of like, what is normal? You know, you, you look at the world through the scope of trauma. I would dare say nobody makes it out of childhood unscathed. Obviously, there's different levels of that. But what I'm curious about is, what is this myth? Like, why has normal now become this ideation that everyone is constantly pursuing, if not more often than not, to our own detriment? Right. So there's a valid use of the word normal, which is... Uh... That with beyond a certain range, life doesn't exist. So that if your blood pressure goes too low or too high, you don't live. If your blood acidity goes too high or too low, you don't live. If your temperature goes too high or too low, you don't live. So that there's a legitimate use of the word normal. But we've come to apply the word normal to everything that happens regularly, whether that's healthy or not. And so that um, in this society, uh, 
70% of adults in the United States are at least on one medication. And more and more kids are being diagnosed left, right, and center with ADHD and anxiety and depression and suicidal ideation and so on. And the belief is that there are these people that are abnormal with these diagnoses, then there's the rest of us that are normal. And what I'm actually saying is that these manifestations of physical and mental illness are actually normal responses to what is an abnormal society. And when, when I mean by abnormal society, from the point of view of human evolution and human nature, this is no longer a society that meets genuine human needs. So that pathology, or what we call pathology, is actually a normal response to abnormal circumstances, which include how you raise children, the inequalities, the racism, the, the stress that some people, these are usual, but from the point of view of human needs, they're not normal. We'll be right back to today's show. But first, I need to ask you a question. Are you feeling stuck? Are you feeling like you don't have the support to go to the next level in your healing journey? Are you feeling like you wish you had a little bit more support from not only myself, but the Unbroken Nation? Well, my friend, I want to invite you to come and join our live weekly coaching sessions in Think Unbroken. All you have to do is go to keys, K-E-Y-S, keys.thinkunbroken.com to sign up and join us today with 100% money back, no questions asked, guaranteed and no contract or commitment every week for the next year. You can come and be a part of our live coaching sessions each Monday as we dive deep into not only answering your questions, but questions from the unbroken nation and help you take all of the information that you learn in the podcast, in the courses and other areas of this journey, bring them into your life and use it in a way that is practical, life-changing and transformative. So my friend, join us at keys.thinkunbroken.com and we will see you this Monday. And, you know, it's funny because you look at the quote unquote normalcy of rearing children, especially in this society, and you often find, well, leave the child in the corner to cry. Let them be angry by themselves. Stop nursing when they're nine days old. Right. You know, whatever that thing may be. And and you look at that creating really the framework and the baseline of traumatic experiences. And part of, and this is just my own research and due diligence, I, I look at the way that I was raised and that I, the way that I grew up having an ACE score of 10, my normal is trauma. And I look at the fact that what you just mentioned statistically, 70% of people in the United States are in some kind of pharmaceutical that would have to lead you to believe that maybe the normal, the normalcy of Western societies, United States particularly, is that of toxicity. That's my point. And, and um, there was an article in the New York Times just two days ago about this teenager who's on 10 different psychiatric medications. I they saw this. Unbelievable. You know, now, the things that you mentioned about kids being left out to cry and not being picked up and they're crying and, 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 and so on. Can you imagine a mother baboon or a mother cat doing that? No. Uh, you know, like mammals were created for contact and connection and, and, and especially the infant of the species. Now, the way p parents are told to raise their kids these days run runs completely contrary to nature, to their own parenting instincts, and to the child's developmental needs. And then, so we basically, and, and in the United States, you know, 25% of women have to go back to work within two weeks of giving birth. Can you believe that? Now, that, that amounts to an abandonment of 25% of American kids at two weeks of age. But that's how the child experiences it. And that's traumatic. And this is considered normal. 
And then we wonder why so many kids are being diagnosed with all these so-called diseases, which are not diseases at all. They're normal responses to what I call is a toxic culture. Yeah, and their coping mechanisms and their biological responses to the chaos of of childhood. And, uh, you know, I look at my life, I turned to drugs when I was 12 years old. I mean, the the first time I got high, I could barely tie my own shoes. And it's like, you, you look at that, and that's such a subculture of society, whether you have this group of parents who are perhaps helicopter and overbearing, or totally avoidant dealing with their own traumas like mine. It's that I found at a very young age, I was seeking peace, right? You look at the the intersection from people who have had these experiences and addiction, and it's like, we have this short-term relief, but there's such dire consequences on the backside of it. If we're living in this quote-unquote normal society, how is it that we're not having a deeper conversation about the root cause of not only addiction, but trauma as a whole? Well, exactly. And if you look at the U.S., your country, I live in Canada, but uh, last year there were over 100,000 overdose deaths from drugs, over 100,000 people. That's twice as many as died as, as Americans who died in the Vietnam War. This is in one year. And um, just as you say about yourself, all these addictions, as I point out in the relevant chapters in my new book, addiction is not this disease that we inherit or somehow choose. All addictions are attempts to escape some emotional pain that's rooted in trauma. And I'm talking about whether it's addicted to drugs, addiction to drugs, or caffeine or nicotine, or sex or pornography or gambling or shopping or eating self-harm to work these are all attempts to temporarily escape the inner discomfort the, the, the you know the as keith richards said uh, the contortions we go through just not to be ourselves for a few hours and he should know because he's the world's most famous uh, former heroin addict and 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 the question we have to be asking ourselves is what is it about this culture that makes so many people distressed in their own skin that they have to escape into all these addictive uh, behaviors. And that question is not being asked. We, uh, medical students are not taught about trauma. Politicians understand nothing about it. Social policy doesn't take it into account. And so we end up basically shunting aside, punishing or treating very inefficiently people who are simply trying to run away from their pain. Yeah. And to that question, you know, I, I watched the wisdom of trauma again in preparedness for this conversation. And, you know, a look at the story that you share briefly with Joey, pulling him off the street and his experience with, with, with drugs. And you go, well, what is the root cause? Like, what is it really that makes people want to avoid being themselves? Like, is that, is that because we don't want to face the pain of the reality of who we are, of our experiences, of, of our past? Like, where does it come? Where's the intersection, I guess, between here I am today, but I'm going to step into drugs, addiction, whatever that thing may be, because that safe something in me where is that crossroad joey from the film the wisdom of trauma is a good example he's a, he's an indigenous canadian now indigenous people um make up when i say indigenous i mean what they call <laughs> indians in the states but you know indians is a very poor word for people that have nothing to do with india but uh 
in the indigenous Aboriginal Canadians, First Nations people, we call them, they make up 5% of the Canadian population. They make up 30% of the jail population. Indigenous women make up 50% of our jail population. When I was working with a heavily addicted, as a physician, working with a heavily addicted population here in Vancouver, British Columbia, 30% of my clients were indigenous. Now, why? Because they're the most traumatized segment of the Canadian population. They were for hundreds of years oppressed, killed. The children were abducted from their homes. The Pope was in Canada recently apologizing for these infernal church-run residential schools where kids were abducted from their families, physically, sexually, emotionally abused. Every category of adverse child experience was visited upon them. Thousands died and we're still looking for their bodies. Any wonder that that population has most heavily addicted <clears throat> in Canada? Because addictions, it's not, well, first of all, they're not wanting to be ourselves. Here's the thing, like no infant doesn't want to be themselves. Infants are themselves. That's the only way they know how to be. But when they start suffering, then unless there's somebody to help hold them in that suffering and, and to help them relieve that suffering, it becomes too uncomfortable to be connected to your emotions and even to your body. So the disconnect, as you suggested earlier, is an adaptation. You adapt to the painful circumstances of your life by disconnecting from your body and even from your emotions, which makes life then very, very difficult. And when the pain gets too much, then you need to soothe. When the pain breaks through, as they did for you at age 12, and 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 by the way, um, when you told me, Michael, that at age 12 you started using drugs, I could have predicted two things without knowing anything about it. One is that you were deeply traumatized in your family of origin. And number two, you had lost nurturing contact with your parents and you were very much ensconced in the peer group. And you took your uh, sense of belonging and direction from your peers rather than from nurturing adults. But those are adaptive responses. And then you do the drug, whatever drug you did. And maybe you'll tell us what exactly you felt. But most people tell me the first time they do heroin or something like that, they feel normal for the first time in their lives. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're spot on. And I, I look at so much of now the understanding of the journey that I've been on as causation and correlation. My mother was a drug addict and alcoholic. She was in and out of rehabs and avoidant. Stepfather, incredibly abusive, put me in the hospital multiple times. I'm biracial. My grandmother is an old racist white lady from a town you've never heard of. So the first time I did drugs, it was both. It was A, I get the sense of normality for once. And and B, it was with my peers because guess what? They're having the same social economical experience that I'm having as well. Exactly. And so that's that's the trajectory. So it's not like you made a conscious choice to be an addict. Nobody ever does. You just found some refuge in the prayer group and then you found some relief in the drug. And that's perfectly natural human drive just to find connection and contact and to find relief from the pain. So my mantra under addiction is not why the addiction, but why the pain. And, you know, so it's not about a choice and it's not about this inherited disease. It's about the distress of life. You know, what's really fascinating about that in childhood, even though I was doing drugs and drinking, got expelled from school, the whole nine, I would always point fingers at my mother and I would say, you're an addict, you're making a decision to do this. And here I am literally going through the same thing. Why is that so much the nomenclature of this conversation? 
because society is completely uninformed about trauma. So the average medical student doesn't get a single lecture on trauma in all their years of training. I mean, it's hard to believe, but that's how it is. Despite the fact that trauma has been shown to be at the heart of most mental health conditions, certainly addiction, a lot of physical illnesses as well. Um, uh, because um, we have this, in this individualistic society, we have this belief about free choice, but we don't understand that the choices people make are very often driven by unconscious dynamics. So that uh, when somebody does a drug and for the first time they feel some inner peace, they didn't choose not to be at peace. Their, their lack of inner peace and, and their turmoil was caused by their life circumstances. So that, and there's nothing again more natural than to want to escape from all that. So there's no choice involved. And uh, in any kind of conscious sense. And, and, and you also, I think you mentioned brain development earlier. And, and the other point we don't realize is that the human brain develops an interaction with the environment. So your mother already in the womb would have passed on her stresses onto you, which means that her cortisol and adrenaline, those stress hormones were already shaping your nervous system even before you were born. What choice did you have in that? Yeah, I, you look at that and you're very much set up for failure. And then if you add in the socioeconomical aspects of that, growing up in government housing, church food, you know, if we were lucky, our new clothes came from the Goodwill or Walmart, you know, and so going through that, it was just, you witnessed that and the organism responds accordingly and high stress, high, like I remember just having this really intensive thought process in all of my childhood that once I'm an adult, things will be different. And one day, Gabor, I came to a recognition I was 25, almost 26. I hit this massive rock bottom moment. I was 350 pounds, two packs a day, drinking myself to sleep, cheating on my girlfriend. My brother had literally said, you're not my brother, never talk to me again. My friends ostracized me. I'm about as low as I could be. And it hit me. I am treating myself the same way that they treated me. And what I'm curious about is why do we do that? Well, because when you're traumatized, that has certain consequences. So one of the effects of trauma is that we believe there's a shame-based view of the self is one of the greatest impacts of trauma. So that we actually are ashamed of our very existence. We don't believe we deserve very much or very, very much good. So we seek out situations that will reinforce our negative view of ourselves. That's the first point. The second point is that we already talked about. Trauma disconnects us from ourselves. So you no longer know what's good for you because you're not listening to your body. Your body was screaming at you all this time, not to stuff it so much with food and, and not to uh, treat it the way you were treating it. But because it, it was too painful to be in your body as a child, you disconnected, not consciously, this is your organism doing it to protect you, but that disconnect will then lead you into all kinds of situations that are harmful to you without you even realizing it. So trauma will do that to people. And trauma, of course, will also um, make you suspicious and, 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 and wary and, and, and uh, it'll give you a lot of pain that you have to soothe so that, and trauma interferes with the proper development of the brain. You know, and you mentioned your biracial, well, I don't know if this is true or not, but my guess is that 
in this society where everybody has to be labeled, most people would, many people would look at you as colored. Is that, would that be the case? Yeah, you're very accurate. And that was a battle I fought in childhood to be like, nope, I am biracial. Yeah. So, but you're not allowed to be yourself. You're labeled. And there's a black American psychologist called Dr. Ken Hardy, who talks about the assaulted sense of self, where you take on other people's view of you, which is very much a problem for any racially uh, ostracized minority in any society. And that, that, that race, racial labeling and viewing of people has physio physiological impacts. It affects the brain, it affects the physiology of the body. So that black American women, the more episodes of racism they experience, the greater the risk for the onset of adult asthma, for example. And, 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 and you can look at various measures of biological aging, comparing uh, people of color in the States to people, by the way, I never understand this language of color, because who the hell isn't colored? I mean, <laughs> you know, why am I considered non-colored? And you know, it's, 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 it's nonsense to start with, but using that language, um, people of color are aging more rapidly by all kinds of measures than people so-called not of color. This has got nothing to do with gender, nothing to do with uh, racial origin. It has to do with the stress of living in a society of inequality where race is one of the factors that, that determine your status. So that all these social factors have a huge role to play in human health, mental health and physical health. And so that uh, as, as those economic circumstances. But of course, I'm not saying that any class in this particularly toxic society escapes pathology. They don't, but there, there's an unequal distribution of ill health. For example, during COVID, who were more likely to get COVID and to die of it? There were people who were poor, obese, and people of color, and often the three go together. And And again, it feels very much so like you look at life through the scope of I, my hope is that people will ingest so much of this information with creating a new foundational baseline to just have an assessment and an acknowledgement because ultimately I felt like that was the very thing that changed my life forever. You know, one of the things I've, I've shared on, on the show before, and this is heavy, obviously we don't know each other, but I want to create context. I'm going to share this. When, when I was four years old, my mother cut off my right index finger. Right. And so I had a, multiple surgeries, multiple skin grafts. And one of the things that I did, Gabor, is I would stuff down the emotional response of this. Every time I'd have to look at this thing, I literally cannot hide from. And, and it came to a realization that actually, and this is my definition, trauma isn't the pain and the cuts and the scars and the burns. That's not what I think about. It's like it was the theft of identity. And realizing that the very thing that healed me was the willingness to say, no, this is who I am, whether you like me or not. How much does the role of identity play in the healing process for people? Well, first of all, I completely agree with you. Our first chapter in the book is on uh, what trauma is. And what I point out is trauma is not what happens to you. Trauma is what happens inside you as a result of what happens to you including and especially the beliefs that you develop about yourself. And um, 
me with my particular trauma as an infant, I developed a belief that I wasn't lovable. And that for a long time determined how I behaved in the world with all kinds of negative consequences, you know, for myself and for people close to me. Now, when it comes to identity, here's the thing. Um, identity can be authentic or identity can be false. Mm. Go into that. So children of this human beings have a need to be themselves. And that means being in touch with their feelings. For example, you say you stopped on your emotions around this assault on your body by your mother. Well, your genuine emotions would have been rage, you know, and, uh, but can a four-year-old afford to be in a rage all the time when he depends on nurturing and caregiving from the person that hurt them? So, so self-protectively, you stopped on the rage. But that means you're stuffing down an authentic part of yourself because our brains are wired for anger. Anger is a healthy uh, response to a boundary invasion. So we lose a part of ourselves. So now you have an identity that's no longer authentic. And your decision at some point in your life was, what I hear you relate about your story, is you decided, I have to become who I truly am, not who I've not, not the persona that I identified with, not the behaviors that I took on, not the emotions that I no longer feel, but I had to figure out who am I really and who will get in touch with your authentic self. So in this society, a lot of people carry an inauthentic identity uh, because that's the way of being accepted, of being liked, of being respected, of uh, being valued. And they're afraid that if I was truly myself, if they really knew who I was, all that would be lost to me. So there's a real battle in the society between... Uh, no, no, the reason authenticity is important, by the way, think of our evolution out in nature, which is where we lived for millions and hundreds of thousands of years. Um, how long do you survive in nature if you're not in touch with your gut feelings? Yeah, about five seconds. <laughs> So we're not talking about some luxury here. We're talking about a survival need. But in this society, a lot of people, for all kinds of reasons, uh, get divorced from who they are. Trauma is a big factor in that. And now they don't know who they are. And that has all kinds of consequences, both for mental and physical health. So the reclaiming of our authentic identity is a major task in this culture. Yes, Especially now, probably more so. I mean, I haven't been alive for history, but I'd probably say more so than any time in history. Access of information, lack of wisdom, looking at the fact that there is just so much posturing everywhere you go. It, would it be fair to say that? Well, actually, let me re ask the question. I'm going to ask it in a different way. How can people be more authentic in a society that actually punishes you for doing so? Yeah, well, that's a huge question. Um, a friend of mine is Peter Levine, and Peter is a is a psychologist and is one of the foremost trauma healers in the world. And he, I was talking to him, and this is I'm quoting him from the book here. He he talks about mothers who botox their faces, and when they interact with their infants, they can't respond to the infant smiles. And he says the internet is a kind of a massive social botoxing. We all present the face that we want to the world but nobody knows who we actually are 
and we're in fact we're afraid that if they find out we wouldn't be accepted so much as i said earlier so basically this society is botoxes everybody or at least wants to so then the question is well look the first answer to the question is and and you talked about hitting rock bottom and and uh, the buddha said once that recognizing the source of your problem is the first step towards healing and the first thing we have to recognize to be authentic is to recognize how inauthentic we are all the times in the day where you suppress your feelings or you pretend to think or say something that you don't really believe or you or you or you don't say no to a demand that you don't actually want to say yes to but you're afraid of the response you have to notice and i talk about this a lot in the book but the first thing to to, to become authentic don't don't say i'm going to be authentic like like some kind of a willful um self-improvement project instead notice how you're not being authentic and ask yourself what is the belief behind my not being authentic can i go deeper to this with you this was this was singularly my greatest struggle in healing because the one thing that I learned at such a young age was that my brain was telling me never, ever, ever be you. That is the most dangerous thing that you can do. And so all I did was placate. All I did was chameleon. Anything it took, because not understanding subconsciously, it was a survival response. Learning to become myself it was arguably the most difficult thing because it was always shrouded in the fear of the unknown. One of the things that I see with my clients all the time is they say, I thrive in chaos. And Gabor, my response to that is like, why would you want to do that, right? Why would you not want to thrive in peace and love, joy, authenticity, self-love, compassion, hope? And so what I'm curious about, if you grow up in this massively traumatic state, or maybe it's not even massive, maybe you just had some of these things that shifted your identity, but if you're dissociated, if you're hypervigilant, if you can't tell which way is up, how in the world do you know if you're being inauthentic? Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? We'll be right back to today's episode, but I want to take a moment and invite you to Think Unbroken Conference. That's right. Our next conference is happening right around the corner this December with amazing speakers from around the world who are leaders in personal development, trauma education, mindset, and more. All you have to do to register to watch for free, that's right, $0, come and join us, is go to myunbrokenlife.com, register and sign up. You can get access to to the free event. Watch it live with us this December. It'll be myself speaking along with amazing human beings like Anthony Trucks, Jamie Bronstein, Leslie Logan, and a special interview that I'm doing with Dr. Gabor Mate that has never before been released. So come and join us, myunbrokenlife.com. All you have to do is put in your email. We'll send you over the registration. You'll be able to come and join us, watch live. And then if you want access to the recordings or more information there for you to keep them forever. But in the meantime, go sign up. Up, block it off on your calendar. This is going to be a transformational experience that you do not want to miss. Head over to myunbrokenlife.com to register for free. Until next time, be unbroken. Well, so first of all, I can totally relate to that um, statement about thriving in chaos. Uh, I was the director of a palliative care unit at Vancouver's largest hospital, working with dying people. And the nurses said that working with me was like working in the eye of a tornado. You know, <laughs> with my ADD and my quick mind jumping all over the place and, you know, running from place to place. I get it. Uh, and, and that's because that's all I knew. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's all I knew. It's not like I'd had a peaceful life before. My life began in chaos. It began in the Second World War as a Jewish infant under the Nazi occupation. So chaos is all I knew. So that's where I learned to function. So I had nothing to compare it to now. What usually happens is, is the same thing that I understand happened to you. At some point, you get a big wake-up call. There's a, there's a Greek playwright, Aeschylus, who wrote 2,500 years ago in one of his plays that the ways the gods created us, we have to suffer, suffer into truth. So it's not like I had a big epiphany. Perhaps you did from one day to the next. I didn't. But it was... No. no. But, but I suffered in my life, and, I, and, 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 and my children suffered. And, and it doesn't matter how successful I was. And so I had to actually ask myself, well, what is the source of this? So it was a painful um, um, process, which continues to this day, of waking up to who I am not and who I really am. And the more I become who I am, the more peaceful life becomes for some strange reason, and the more satisfying becomes, and the less anxiety is there is, and so on. And But it's a lifelong process. And as you implied earlier, so much in this culture demands that you not be yourself. You're actually moving against the culture. And if you look at the studies, uh, there's one psychi psychologist who studied this, is the people who didn't identify with the culture who were the healthiest. Mm -hmm. It also means some friends of yours that are used to your authentic self may not want to stay with you, but you know what? You'll make much better friends who want the real you. So that's, you probably know that game as well, you know, that the people that really honor who you are, they'll be, that, they'll be on your side. And some people who they want something from you, they want the inauthentic other, they may not be so pleased when you show up as yourself. Why is it that, this is something I've pondered for a long time now, in, in consideration of now having coached more people than I can count of watching people's lives transform just through the teachings and understandings that I've had and finding many, many of them having great successes. And even my, I'll include myself in that, obviously. Why is it that some people are able to step into what I'll call a transformational stage of recognizing these very things that you're mentioning, like really calling to attention. I'm not being me, the willingness to go through, do the work, understand like, yes, this is a lifetime journey when you sign on the dotted line and then seeing growth. Why do some people witness that? And some people it's like, here's everything you could ever need right here. And they just don't take it. Well, um, I think there's three reasons. Uh, one is they're so identified with the false persona that they're terrified to give it up because that false persona helped them survive as a child. So they identify their falseness with survival. Mm -hmm. The stuffing of emotions, the pretense, the placating, the pleasing and all that. They identify with their very survival. And when you identify something with survival, it's very uh, scary to give it up. That's the first reason. The second reason is, is that we've already talked about it. Sometimes you have to suffer into truth. And maybe they just need to suffer some more before they wait. What, before they want to wake up. And thirdly, and this is crucial, maybe they haven't realized that there's help available, you know, that they don't know how to reach out for help. You know, uh, and, and I think help from another human being is crucial in this transformation. Very few of this. Very, I mean, the reason, if people could do this on their own, you and I would be out of a job, you know, yeah. 
but, but, but the fact is that it's very difficult, as both you and I know, to do this on your own. We're social creatures. We're wired for connection and contact and communion with others. And we were hurt in relationship. We're going to heal in relationship. And so some people just haven't found that healing relationship. And unfortunately, the so-called mental health system and the medical system and the social system is just not designed to give people what they need. What kind, I'd like to go into some specifics here. I have been fond of the word suffering for quite a while now, recognizing at its definition, it's to be in discomfort. And I think all healing comes through discomfort or i.e. suffering. What type of things do people need to be stepping into to suffer in a way that creates growth? Well, nobody chooses suffering. Nobody in their mind chooses suffering. Well, actually, that's not true. Some people, once they're on the path to truth, will accept suffering as an alternative to falsehood. So that's true. But most of us don't. That's a very high conscious level choosing of suffering. You know, that I'm going to feel all the pain that's in me because I want to transform. But that's a high level of commitment to truth. So for most of us, it's not that we choose to suffer, it's that we do. So some people, it takes an autoimmune disease or a malignancy, or an addiction, or a mental health crisis, or a, re or a painful relationship breakup, uh, to say, oh, well, maybe there's something in me that has helped to create these crises. And maybe if I can learn about how I did that, not unwittingly, but inexorably, maybe I can have a different kind of life. So that suffering, we don't choose it, but the real, the real question is, when the suffering shows up, what do we choose? Simply just to run away from it and to get rid of it like a pest or to actually naturally want to heal it, but at the same time learn from it. And I've had people, this is strange to say, and I don't recommend it to anybody, but I've had people even with terminal illness say, Doc, this illness is the best thing that ever happened to me because it woke me up to where I really was and I get to be myself at least for a little while, which is more precious than anything I've ever done in my whole life. Now, again, I don't recommend that kind of learning. I'm just telling you that even people at that extreme situation sometimes will recognize the value of their suffering. So what I'm saying to people is don't wait for the suffering. Noticing now where you're not being authentic. Notice every day where you're not being authentic and ask yourself why. Or if you do suffer, don't just see it as a problem to get rid of. Ask some deep questions about how you might have unwittingly, based on childhood traumatic patterns, ended up in that situation. And is there a place in this for a parallel or, or maybe even a dichotomy, probably a better way to ask this, for both while going through the suffering and acknowledgement of inauthenticity to both be patient, graceful, kind, and compassionate with yourself while also pushing yourself forward anyway? Well, if you're not kind and patient and compassionate with yourself, you're just not going to heal. And so one of the chapters in the new book, Myth and Normal, has to do with self-compassion, how important it is. And one of the things that trauma does to us is we lose compassion for ourselves. You know, one of the one of the um, most saddest emails I ever got was 
a man from Seattle who read my book on addiction in the realm of hungry ghosts, and in which I point out that childhood trauma is the basis of addiction. And he writes, this is a very interesting book, but I can't blame my mother. It's my own fault that I'm a shit, you know? Mm -hmm. Now, total lack of self-compassion. First of all, I never said to blame his mother. His mother, like your mother actually, did their best. Their best was limited by the trauma that they had experienced. Uh, so I never blamed the mom. But this self-loathing that it's my fault that I became a shit, well, that's lack of compassion. He's never going to heal as long as he has that attitude. What you said, though, about pushing yourself, I would reframe that. Because just do it. Do an experiment with me, okay? Lift your both hands and push, put, put your left hand against the left, the right, and then push with your right hand against the left. Push, push, push. What does the left hand do? Nothing. Well, it does. It pushes right back. Oh, yeah. True. Yeah, yeah. It's friction. If it did nothing, it would just go like this. So, so, so there's an automatic resistance to being pushed, even if the pushing comes from yourself. Then what do you do to continue? Here's, here's the reason and the rationale in that question. When I found myself at the crux of what now has become my life 12 years ago, it was a very simple question. I asked myself, what are you willing to do to have the life that you want to have? Right. My, my response to that was no excuses. And that to me has always felt like go forward, no matter what, find a solution. You will figure it out on a long enough timeline. Yeah, sure. We're just quibbling about language here, but but I, I would still not use pushing. I would say it's a calling that you had that you followed. So then if, if you were to interchange that word, how would you describe the thing that people should do in order to continue to go forward, especially when it's hard? I would say to follow the inner calling. Mm. I find myself in situations when I push myself to meditate. There's a lot of res I'm, maybe I'm talking about myself here, but when I push myself to do things, um, I tend to resist. When I notice the inner call and I follow it, then I tend to move forward. So that's why I don't use the language of pushing very much. Okay, so I want to go a little bit deeper into this. So let's say you have that inner call to go forward to something, but you're facing internal resistance. Maybe it's about an investment in yourself. Maybe it's about joining a course, joining a program, hiring a coach, going to a therapist, buying the next book. Like, how do you navigate that? You know you need to do it, but there's resistance about doing it, even though it'll make your better life better. Then to get very compassionate and curious about that resistance. And to ask, well, what are you, you know, there's a part of you that resists. Talk to it. What are you afraid of? What are you resisting here? Like, rather than making the resistance wrong, don't make any part of you wrong. It's all there for a reason. So make friends with it. Ask what it's afraid of. It's afraid of something. And partly what it's afraid of is uh, lo losing um, the identity that it had identified with all its life. You know? And so... Uh, you have to work with it and reassure it. It's okay. I'm going to be more myself than I ever was. You don't have to be afraid and you'll enjoy it a lot more. What I'm suggesting here is that you work with the resistance, not in a hostile way, but with a compassionate way. There's always a reason for anything that's in us. And uh, at some point, that resistance, you see, at some point, that resistance to be authentic saved your life. So when you notice the resistance, at least treat it kindly. Okay, I get it. At some point, 
you really had to come along to protect me from more dire consequences. I get it. Thanks. But I don't need your services anymore. You can relax now. You know, in other words, be kind to every part of yourself. That's what I'm suggesting. Yeah, I, I love that. And in my personal values, kindness is one of my personal values. I think it's one of the most important assets of the human experience. Kindness for yourself, kindness for others. What would you say to the people who are like, yeah, I hear you. You guys sound great, but I go and destroy myself every single time I spill the glass of milk, that I'm late for work, that I get into an argument with my partner. I have this tremendously negative self-talk that then is reinforced by society. What would you say to those folks? First of all, I'd say I totally get it. And uh, that's the way I used to talk to myself as well. Furthermore, I would say that even that voice that makes you wrong for everything served a function at some point. At some point, it makes sure that you follow the rules or wanted to make sure that you, so that you'll be accepted. So even that voice that's so critical is still at some point came along to keep you in line so that you'll survive. And it's just another one, it's just another part of yourself that had a function at some point. As, as unpleasant as its voice is in your ears, uh, at some point, it did have a survival function. It no longer does. So be kind to that voice and say, thank you. You're still trying to keep me in line. Uh, but you know what? You're not helping me anymore. So don't reject any part of yourself, even that, even that voice. Well, that's one way to deal with it. Another way to deal with it is I hear you in a flake off and go somewhere else. I don't need you anymore. You know, so whatever you need to do, but don't be, whatever you do, don't believe it. Mm -hmm. Just recognize that it's an old message wired into your brain decades ago. It's got nothing to do with who you are and your reality. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Please. Yeah. Please. I was also going to say, look, at some point, people have to go to somebody and get some help. So they have to come to you as a coach uh, or, or me in my role as a therapist, not that I take on individual clients anymore, but, but, you know, they have to talk to somebody and, 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 and uh, I'm sure that much of what you offer people is um, not just the content of the advice or the coaching that you might deliver, but also the quality of relationship where they feel accepted with all their dysfunctions, with all their negative voices, with all their harmful behaviors, but they feel accepted as a human being. So at some point I say to people, get into some kind of a healing relationship with somebody. Do you think, I think so many people are terrified of that. I mean, I was as well at seven years old. I went to therapy for the first time after being molested and the therapist told my mom everything that I said. So I immediately learned not to trust them. It took me a long time to get to the place of finding the right person. And what I discovered was the person that was able to best assist me had actually had a similar background. Do you think that actually matters? Well, it does matter, and uh, because when I, when I in the book when I talk about compassion, I distinguish five levels of compassion, and one level is what I call the compassion of recognition. Now, when I worked mm -hmm. with this heavily populated, heavily addicted downtown Eastside population in Vancouver with their hepatitis C and their HIV and their multiple dependencies on drugs, I saw myself in all of them. 
there was nothing in them that I didn't see in myself. The craving, the emptiness, the desperation, the capacity to be completely manipulative in my behavior, all that. No, I was luckier. I was not nearly as traumatized as they were, and I was a middle-class physician. But for God's sakes, the only difference between them and I was that they had suffered a lot more in life. And their situation was much more dire from racial, economic, class, and personal points of view. But there was no separation between me and them in terms of recognizing. So when you can go to somebody who sees themselves in you and you in themselves, that itself is so healing. Yeah, and it's beautiful because in that you find not only compassion for yourself, but in each other. And I think that ultimately that communal aspect of growth is arguably the most transformative thing that you have. I tried to do this on my own, man. And let me tell you, 26 year old shit was not working, right? <laughs> well, the funny, the funny thing is I've never had a drug addiction in my life, but I've had addictive behaviors like shopping, for example. Sometimes I spend thousands of dollars a day, you know, on buying compact discs, literally. And sometimes I would even leave my patients in hospital to go and get a compact disc. I mean, can you believe it? But so I say this to the, so I say this to my downtown Eastside clients and they just sort of smile and laugh and shake their heads and they'd say, Hey doc, you're just like the rest of us, aren't you? You know? So the, the, they got the similarities, you know? Yeah. And that's what we have to realize to go back to what we said about normal in this society, we're all addicted to something. We all suffer from inauthenticity, some more than others. Some bear the brunt of social circumstances more than others. But basically, as you said earlier, few of us, if any of us, escape from childhood unscathed, un un untouched by the imprints of trauma. And so that in that sense, we're all on the same boat. Yeah, and yes. And I don't know about you, but I'd be rather rowing with other people than rowing by myself. Uh, you know what the funny thing is? When you say when we say we're all on the same boat, the fact is there's only one boat. You know, <laughs> we might not. It's very to, true. We may want to realize it, and some people really want to make themselves superior. They want to they want to think they're sailing in a yacht, not like the rest of us peons. You know, but you know they don't know it. And they do a lot of damage, by the way, by their drive to make themselves bigger and more powerful and richer and so on. I mean, they do most damage in the world, those people who have, who, who buy into that false dream of the individual self that succeeds at the expense of everybody else. They're the ones who are destroying the earth. Yeah. That's a dangerous place to navigate. My friend, this has been an absolute amazing conversation. Thank you for being here and your time. Before I ask you my last question, please tell everyone where they can learn more about you and the new book. Well, if I may show you the new book, I've just got a copy of it. It's called The Myth of Normal Again, Trauma, Illness, and Healing in a Toxic Culture. It publishes on September the 13th. Um, it should be available everywhere. My own work is at my website, drgabormate.com. I have about a, multiple dozens of my talks on YouTube. They don't cost anything to watch. I didn't put them up there. People did, but they've been seen by hundreds of thousands, in some cases, millions of people, freely available. Um, the film that you mentioned, The Wisdom of Trauma, you can watch it online as well. Um, all you have to do is Google me and you'll get more than you want. So it's not hard to find me these days. And this new book, it'll be even easier to find me.
Yeah. And my, my hope is if this book does what I believe that it will do, it'll further this conversation that needs to be had. You know, I, I look at childhood trauma in my first book in the opening, I said, child abuse is war. And we're having this war in this country, in the society, in culture, in the world. And ultimately, I hope that more amazing conversations like this can be had publicly so we can continue to change the scope of the future and ultimately move towards what my very personal mission is of ending generational trauma. My last question for you, my friend, what does it mean to you to be unbroken? It means to realize your true nature. Um, in that let's let's let let's take something like addiction and people talk about i'm broken and i'm damaged and all that well is that true when we recover from addiction what does the word recovery mean by the way it's a good english word when you recover something what do you do you find it again right now when i ask people what did you find when you recovered they say i found myself so that means that that true self, that authentic self that you and I have been talking about, has never been destroyed. It's never disappeared. It can't disappear. It can't be destroyed as long as there's consciousness. So to be unbroken is to find your true self that's been never been broken, never been destroyed, never been um, uh, damaged. You just lost sight of it as a result of what happened to you. But it's here and it's waiting for you and it's speaking to you. As a matter of fact, if it wasn't speaking to you and waiting for you, you wouldn't be watching this show even. So the very fact that you're watching this podcast means that that true self is there waiting for you to connect to it. Yeah, brilliantly said. I have goosebumps. You probably can't see it on the camera, but incredible, my friend. Thank you so much for being here. It means the world. Unbroken Nation, thank you for listening. Please like, subscribe, comment, share, tell a friend. And until next time, my friends, be unbroken. I'll see ya. Hey, Unbroken Nation. We'll be right back to the show, but I wanted to let you know that you can grab a copy of my first book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma for free. If you go to book.thinkunbroken.com, you can download the PDF ebook version of the book and get everything that I know about the baseline of healing trauma for free downloaded to your email right now. Just go to book.thinkunbroken.com to download your copy of Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma for a PDF for your phone. Again, that is book.thinkunbroken.com. Thank you so much for listening to Think Unbroken. Please share this episode with someone who could use it and help us move forward in our mission of ending generational trauma in our lifetime. And if you would, please take five seconds to pop on iTunes or Spotify, hit that five star, leave a review. And you can also reach out to us on social at Michael Unbroken or at Think Unbroken. And of course, you can check out our YouTube channel at Think Unbroken. Thank you for being a part of Unbroken Nation, my friends. And until next time, be unbroken. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Want to get smarter about investing? Then tune in to the Capital Ideas Podcast from Capital Group, home of American Funds Distributors, Inc., one of the world's leading asset managers. 
Learn from portfolio managers with decades of experience by listening to the Capital Ideas Podcast today. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show. But I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.